1: We're going to be talking a lot about the crucifixion, but we're also going to be presenting it from the amazing love that the Lord had for us to actually go through that crucifixion experience and how important that really, really is. Well, I hope you have your Bibles today because we're going to go through a lot of verses. We're going to conclude one chapter in the time that I have. And if you'd like to follow along, you can certainly do that with your Bible, or maybe you have a Bible on your electronic device, or if you want to scoot next to someone who has a Bible, or borrow or take a Bible that's in the pew rack, uh, or the chair rack in front of you, you certainly can, but I urge you to have a Bible with you. If we were to put out all the verses that we're going to cover today on a sheet of paper, uh, your paper would be long, but more than that, you probably would rely more on a piece of paper than your Bible, and I'd like you to have that with you. This this morning's message is called uh, Picture Jesus Christ and my, what a, I guess you would say a wonderful picture because even in the midst of what he went through, it never took away from the majesty of Christ. You know, when we talk about the message of the cross, the message of the cross can be spoken and shared every single day, any day that we want, but often we reserve that for the time of Easter and the Passion Week and things like that. Interesting, it seems like we've been in the Gospel of John for so long and the Lord brings us right here to this portion of Scripture right during this Passion Week period of time. How great that is to be able to look through that. And it is really special for us to look at it. You know, um, when I prepare messages, there's a lot of uh, things that I go through in my style of message preparation. And toward the end of the message preparation, I like to hear the preaching of other uh, much greater preachers and communicators than me and so I usually download it and I, I put it into my phone like maybe some of you do I have one of those phones maybe you have an iPod I don't know what you've got but I put it in here and I'll listen to those kinds of sermons as I'm doing it just to hear their perspective and most of the time I really don't get a lot of insights from them because I've, they got it from the same source I did commentaries and study the words the original language but sometimes they'll bring in illustrations because I'm not always good at that But I remember I had the the headphones on as I was listening to a message on the crucifixion and it bled into the resurrection. And I'm I'm on this treadmill. I try to exercise four or five days a week and I set it up at an incline and a certain speed and I'm huffing and puffing and I got the earplugs in and I'm listening. And I'm listening to this tremendous, heartfelt, passionate message of Jesus Christ and what he went through. And I started thinking, this is interesting. Here am I hearing this great message while all I'm doing is walking on this treadmill. A while after that, we have a backyard that doesn't have weeds in it, but behind the backyard fence, it goes down into a, a ditch that takes the water down the Kulio Valley, down to the ocean. And so by that ditch is a lot of weeds. And I'll be whacking those weeds and poisoning those weeds, and I'm listening to a message and the crucifixion. And I got, it doesn't seem like it matches. I should be in my room on my knees with an open Bible or maybe sitting outside under a palm tree and looking at God's creation as I listen to this. But I'm doing mundane things, exercising, killing weeds. And then it hit me. We ought not to always compartmentalize the crucifixion and and put it into a little box and then pull it out at certain times of the year that not only is this message is an important message for all the year, it's the result of that message of the crucifixion that gives me love and joy and peace, sins forgiven, a home in heaven. God is my Father in a relationship with the great I Am. And it's all because of the resurrection that came from the crucifixion. And so this is something that will relate to every part of our life all the time. So I pray that this message will speak to you in a very special way. If you have your Bibles and you're at John chapter 19... I always like to sometimes go to the end of a chapter, the end of a book if I'm kind of confused of where we're going. And I did that with John 19 because I want to show you where we're really headed and what John was doing in writing what he did. So John 19, but I want you to go to verse 35. Some of you probably would like me to just to pass all that over, get to the end, and get on home. But verse thirty five is a very rich verse because it really tells us a little bit more about how important what we're going to be studying. The two most important events in humanity is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. But look at verse thirty five, and here's what John, the writer, not the author, that'd be the Holy Spirit God, thirty five, and John, who has seen, has testified, and his testimony is true. That means what he saw, he spoke about. What he saw and spoke about, it was true, it was accurate. And then it says, and he knows that he is telling the truth. So not only has he seen it, he testifies, he knows it's truth, he's testifying the truth, but there's an end result. The last part of verse 35 says, so that you also may believe. That is pretty huge to me. In other words, all that John was exposed to by the Lord during especially this crucifixion time, a lot of other truths too, but during this crucifixion time, he was seeing it, it was accurate what he saw and heard, he recorded it in the heart of his mind before he wrote it down, he then testified of it publicly, but all of it had a reason, and that wasn't that he was just a good Christian historian. He was one that recognized that all history still has a point, has a purpose, to bring glory to the Lord. And that door of glory to the Lord is the door of salvation found in Christ by believing. Now, I'm saying that to say this. When we go over some of these pictures this, uh, today, it may sound a little historical, because we're going to go over some of the details, and some of the background, and some of the prophecy. But I want you to know, all of that is what John saw heard, seen, did, testified all truth so that you and I would respond to it. So I'm hoping that it's just not going to fill up a notebook full of historical facts, but that through that you are going to one more time solidify or grow or maybe for the first time embrace the deity of Jesus Christ. Even though he went to the cross and it's a horrible experience and you think that there's not majesty in it, that there is, that you too would believe. Now I don't mean just believe I mean believe in the right object, that Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore he can be Savior, and to believe it for you and yourself. Now, I don't know if you are like Carol and me, but we have a little tiny guest room in our home, and we have a little bookcase there so that when guests would stay in our house, they could look at some pictures of Hawaii, so we have one of those it 's almost like a coffee table book. Do you have any of those around your house? Carol was going through some of ours just the other night. Look at this coffee table book of Hawaii and when you do it, you open it up and it starts showing you the various islands and the beaches and the mountains and the waterfalls and the, and the people the ethnicity of our island it 's all right there in one book. That one book gives us a picture of Hawaii. Now, why am I telling you that i 'm telling you that because. John, who saw and heard and was there, actually put together a little bit of a picture book of the crucifixion that we're going to look through. So, what's important about this is to know who the person is that's writing it. Who is it? Obviously, it's John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why is he doing this? There is a purpose for it being written, and that would be so that we would believe. And that's the different picture book. Now, to contemporize this a little bit, I'm... um, I have my phone, and how many of you take pictures with your phone? Would you raise your hand? All right, some of you don't have a phone. Mine's not a fancy-schmancy one. It's a little older edition. The case is already cracked from how many times I've dropped it, and don't worry, I did put it on silent mode. But if I wanted to take pictures, I kind of set it all up, and I can take some pictures of you. There's another program, web deal, that's called Instagram. Has anybody ever heard of Instagram? Would you raise your hand? So people take pictures. Sometimes they're so... um focused on themselves they're called selfies you know they take a picture of themselves i haven't figured all that out yet but there must be a reason so you take a picture of yourself and you post it on instagram and by doing that you get a little bit of a track record of what they're taking a picture of what they're eating where they are who they're with etc now i don't to me there's nothing exciting a picture of a dessert that i ate at a restaurant to send it all out i'm just too busy to do that i'm not condemning you if you do that and sometimes how do i know you do it because i'm not busy enough because i'm looking at yours that you took so I, i get that all right. But my point is still this: we often will take a lot of pictures, and we don't always go back and look at them, do we? Now, we've been to China, did our mission trip there. One of the ladies on our trip, she took close to 800 pictures of China. That's a lot of pictures. We've taken a bunch. I'd love to tell you that we have organized them all in a wonderful slideshow and we're ready to go and launch everybody for a vision to reach Chinese people. We didn't do that. It's still out there. Or in here, I should say. It's there. Well, I would like you to know that the the event that we're going to cover today is something that we just don't read through four times in the Gospels and then kind of move on to the next deal. I pray that from time to time that we would often go back and look at the pictures... Of what Jesus Christ went through as he went to crucifixion. And then of course the pictures afterwards before he finally ascended up to heaven. But primarily the study for today is on the crucifixion. I pray that we will go over those pictures. That we will look at the pictures. We will study it for its details. Watch this now. And you will see that while it might be a still picture today. It's actually a moving video because you have Matthew, Mark, Luke besides John and you really need to kind of put them all together so you can see this beautiful moving picture because often John will speak of something the other Gospels don't. The other Gospel writers will write something that John doesn't but you need to put it all together so you have surround sound so you could really understand who Christ is. So I urge you over the next couple of weeks study the life of Christ, particularly at the end, through the other Gospels, so you can get a wonderful picture of it. And I hope that might be helpful. Well, we have 13 pictures today, so let's look at these very quickly as we go through this passage. Now normally I take you right to John chapter 19 verse 1 and we have so many guests here I do need to back it up a little bit so we don't just jump into picture number 1. I've got to tell you what we're going to be seeing a picture of and why we have a picture. So go to chapter 18 now of the Gospel of John. Pick it up in verse 38. So I'm going to just kind of lead us right into the book we're about to open on the 13 pictures of Christ at the crucifixion. Verse 38 of chapter 18 says this, Pilate said to Christ, what is truth?" And when he had, finished, when he had said this, finished saying this, he went out and again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. In other words, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber and he was a whole lot more in a lot of other translations and other gospels, but he was a bad guy. So that's where we ended last week. Now we pick up the picture book of Jesus Christ being crucified, verse one of chapter nineteen. Picture number one: Jesus being whipped. All right? Verse one simply says, "Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him." Now, what is uh, helpful for us, perhaps, perhaps, is that John did not go into all the gory details. Those of you that have seen. The Passion of the Christ movie that came out about 10 years or so ago. It's a pretty gory movie. In fact, it almost was rated an R because of the gore. On the other side of that, it was pretty realistic. On the other side of that, I don't think it was even realistic enough of what Hollywood could do to such a horrible thing like that. So Jesus Christ was scourged. Now, if you'll recall in this passage, there's a number of things that were done to Christ in a physical way. One way, of course, was the scourging. And I like to type to the scourging, the mocking, the taunting, the, the thorns, the slapping, etc. All of that is that scourging effect. I'll talk about that in a moment. The other part of the passage is the crucifixion. And that's, of course, where they nail them to the cross and they raise them all up. And we will talk about that. The reason I want to bring this to you as two separate events. This is this horrible torture of Christ and then the crucifixion part. This is because often historically, when the Romans were doing this, they would do one... Or they do the other, but they really didn't do both. You know, for years, I always thought everybody went through that. You all got this, and you went to the cross if you're a bad guy, and they did a lot of crucifixion in those days. But the more I dug into the historicity of all of this, the more I found out that that wasn't the case. Now, more behind all of that is that Pilate was uh, perhaps trying to really rake Jesus so much so that the Jews would give up on the crucifixion part. Now, I know that's a lot of assumption in there, but it's quite possible, maybe more probable, knowing the tension that was going through and other issues that Pilate was dealing with. And then you have others that didn't go through any of that, and they went right to the cross and they were crucified. I'm sure there's a degree of torture ahead of time, but nothing like what Christ went through. So when you read about the crucifixion and you think about all the torture that he went through, I want you to know that there was a, a human being in the sense of the, the man part of God, of Christ, that actually have the same eyes, ears, nose, throat, all of that, and nerve endings that we have that was so tortured and then placed upon a piece of wood and then nailed there and then hung out for everybody to mock, to look at. Now all of that Christ went through. So he went, watch this to the max for the max he did that for you and me so when it talks about the scourging these roman guys that would scourge their victims these weren't little namby pamby little roman guys that okay you go to war but you get to do the scourging these were highly trained pain making machines we might say these were guys that were strong they knew how to whip that cat of nine tails which was a a wooden handle often wrapped around it being leather and then at the end of that would be leather straps and then tied to the leather straps would be anything they could tie to it that would bring the most pain whether it was broken pieces of bone and some of you have seen that when you break a chicken bone and it's dried out you know how painful that could be pieces of rock pieces of pottery maybe pieces of glass pieces of metal anything that they could do and when they would go up to the person that was held up to be scourged they would walk to the person they would then turn around and pace Because they knew, remember, they were, these men that were trained in inflicting pain, would walk back the amount of steps that fit their body and the distance from the length of that flagellum to the back of that person and would begin to whip them. Now, we are told that they often would only whip them 39 times, although they would be given the sentence of 40. Because if they did it over 40, then the person doing the whipping would have to suffer. So they often would kind of cut back to about 39. You'll read that about the Apostle Paul. The point of the matter is whether it's 33, 32, you just start whipping anybody with two or three of those, that's bad enough. And I want you to think, as eyes were upon Jesus, as this guy reared his arm back, and with one quick, swift snap of his wrist, he then laid on that guy's back. And so Jesus had one after the other, after the other, after the other. That's why Isaiah would say that his body was so marred, visaged, we couldn't even recognize him. He was shredded as a human being almost dying through that experience. So when you read here, oh, he took Jesus and he scourged him. I want you to know that that in itself is a horrific event that happened to Christ. Isaiah fifty three five says that. All right, picture number two. Jesus now being mocked. In verse two it says, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, hail, king of the Jews. And they give him slaps in the face. Now, while that's two very short verses that has some verbs and adjectives in there, I want you to know that it is power-packed with information to help you understand what you're seeing in this picture. As you begin in verse 2 when it says... Um, that the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns. I don't want you to think it's those beautiful little Pasadena rose thorns. These were thorns that came out of bushes that grew in that area of the country. And those thorns could be as long as your finger. And not only were long, they were sharp, but they were very stiff. They were almost like steel spikes. And they twisted it together so it would be this. And you might read they put it on his head. Now, I'm going to read into this. It's my opinion. I don't know if it's theological, but I think my opinion might stand. And here it is. If they were in the mode to bring pain to him and to bring mockery to him, they didn't take the smallest of thorns, wrap it into a crown, and kind of lightly lay it on top of his head. I believe they picked what they had there, the most painful thorns, they brought it up to him, they wanted to get the attaboys from the people that were around, and so they jammed it on him. Now, I don't know about you, but um, um, I... Even when I get a pinprick in my finger, you know, Carol will do some you know stitching and stuff where they're counting cross stitch and all this stuff, and once in a while I hear a ooh, and then the, what do you think the next thing she does? And it goes right to the mouth. I don't know why, have got to lick that little blood. That is nothing what Jesus Christ went through. Go back to the rest of the verse. It says they put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. That was a sign that, it was, uh, that he was nobility, so they found some kind of a robe. They put it upon him. And it was a seamless garment, which we'll talk about later and then it says they began to come to him and say now you read that it sounds like they came up there they did their little mockery and they left in the Greek tense it says they, they began to come meaning they began to come and they kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming now think about yourself being totally shredded in the back with these thorns on your head the blood is trickling down your eyes into your nose you can smell it you can feel it you can taste it the bugs that are beginning to swarm around you because the blood is coming out and you see what's happening and then these guys keep coming up and coming up and mocking him. they take this dry garment, place it upon a wet, bloody back to make him look like he's a king in mockery. Then the rest of the passage says, they slapped him. Now, I read this somewhere else, didn't come out of a commentary. so maybe true, maybe not. But between male and female, nobody likes to be slapped. That's the most degrading thing. We do not want to be slapped. But it seems like for some reason, men do not like their face touched. Maybe kissed, but not touched and poked and prodded. That's why men have a harder time putting in contact lenses. It's a hard, For whatever psychology. And Jesus was having his face slapped again and again and again and again. And the crown of thorns jostled on his head, his back. The garment shifting and sliding on that wet back that he had. Now that's what we have to think about. I don't want to be too gory. But at the same time, I don't want to turn this thing into something that was. It was pretty bad. Even my description without the visual, I hope, is letting us know what amazing love. And this story needs to be believed every single day of our life. It's the resurrection, the crucifixion, the love of Christ giving himself for us. So let's go to picture number three now. Picture three. This is Jesus standing before Pilate and the crowd. If you were with us last week, you remember that the Jews wouldn't go in uh, to where the Gentiles were, particularly where the Romans were, because they thought a lot of dead bodies could be there, whatever. So they felt they needed to stay clean. So the weird thing about all this, if you read all these passages, and sometimes we read it, but we don't get the picture. But here you have this you know, high-powered guy named Pilate, and so he's got to keep going in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out in and out of the praetorium to be able to communicate what he's doing with Jesus inside the praetorium, because that's where they took him. But he had to communicate with the Jews outside of the praetorium. So he goes out, comes in, goes out, comes in, and sometimes he brings Jesus back and forth. So I want you to see there's a little bit of confusion, a little bit of uncertainty. And remember, Pilate is um, a selfish person who is a waffling leader trying to keep peace in the city of Jerusalem when there's already been tension but it's now climbing in that tension so now he's standing before uh, Pilate in the crowd let's read the passage verses 4 through 8 it's a longer passage but the story will unfold Pilate came out again and said to them behold I'm bringing him out from the praetorium to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him A little bit further in the passage, he says it again, I find no guilt in him. Let me comment on that right now. When you read through the Gospels, you're going to find that Pilate says, not once, not twice, not three times, but at least seven times in in the uh, expanded, complete message of this, seven times he says, I find no guilt. First of all, the number kind of... uh, seems interesting too for those of you that are in numerology and scripture. Now I don't want to go too far with that but the number 7, but 7 times he found no guilt in him. And then it says Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. Now it wasn't like behold the man like look at this is the man of God right here. No. The man isn't capitalized in some of your translations to let you know the man is referring to God. Jesus is God, but not because Pilate thought he was someone real special at that time at all. Basically what he's saying, okay, here's this guy. This is the guy you want. Look at him right now. Basically implying, do you want us to go further with all this? This is the guy. Here he is. All right. This is the man. So a little bit further it says, So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him. That's why there's that tension. Here's a man. Basically, do you want to do this? No, crucify him. Yeah, we want to do this. Pilate said to them, Well, then take him yourselves and crucify him. Why? Pilate didn't find anything wrong with him. Didn't want to get in too much of a hot seat. But at the same time, he wanted to appease the Jews. So he's kind of waffling there. For I find no guilt in this guy, no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Interesting. They want to keep some laws and break other laws. Therefore, when Pilate heard that statement, he was even more afraid. Now, there's some conjecture of why he was afraid. Some people say he was afraid because of the fact that uh, his wife came to him and said, The gods have told me have nothing to do with this man. Their culture often said that when a guy was attesting to the fact that he had some supernatural power, and of course you already know the history behind what Jesus did before he got to this point, healing people and all this stuff, doing miracles, all of a sudden there may be some supernatural, quote, mumbo-jumbo uh, from Pilate's perspective and so now he's afraid maybe he is the son of now they're saying he's the son of God maybe there is some supernatural stuff here what am I going to do what's going to happen here that's one conjecture it very well could be that or it could be that he's afraid he's putting him out and he's saying oh no man I thought I was going to solve this problem and now I'm really not this thing has really escalated now and there's a, be- a bit of fear in there I don't know where you want to go with your acceptance of it. You can just just be satisfied with the fact that as this began, Pilate now was recognizing what was happening, not that Jesus was God, but that there was an element of fear. When I was reading that, that element of fear, I got thinking about what I said to you last week and maybe reiterated again, that some of us at times, we, um, we count the cost of, standing up for Christ going public for Christ and when we think in our mind okay I do need to take a stand right here there's this like as Christians now I'm talking about we go through this mental gymnastics to find out okay I want to do it wise I want to do it right maybe it's too soon maybe I shouldn't do it right now I don't want to do it. this is right and we justify or we try to justify why this might not be the right time so we don't do it and so more cases than not we keep backing away and backing away and backing away and we don't take our stand for Christ because ultimately we are fearful of fill in the blanks, rejection, marginalization, being asked a question we don't know the answer to, it goes on and on and on.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.